The key thing that I learned from makers was that a lot of the artisans that I met had some kind of social impact or environmental impact built into their business. Mm. And that really flipped my ideology on its head. I was always anti-business or anti-big business, essentially. Yeah. But for the first time in a long time, I, I could start to see that business could be the solution to a lot of these problems that we're seeing in the world. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 212 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Pete Williams. Pete was born in Adelaide, Australia, and moved to London in 2006 to attend the Met Film School. He won some awards for his early commercial work and in 2014 created a successful short-form TV series called Makers for Channel 4 in the UK, which celebrates independent craftspeople from around the world. For the past four years, Pete's been researching, fundraising, shooting and editing The New Breed, The Rise of the Social Entrepreneur, and is very excited to share it with the world. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Pete's experience filming The New Breed, which is a documentary about the rise of social entrepreneurship, and we'll get Pete's insights into storytelling and crafting strong narratives. So Pete, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us. G'day Tom, how you going? Really well, really well. It's good to have you back in Australia after what's been a long stint overseas. Good to be home. I bet it is. So you're in, in Adelaide at the moment and back home on a new mission, but you're about to launch this documentary, The New Breed, on Friday. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background first and what led to your passion in filmmaking and social enterprise. Yeah, well, uh, growing up in Adelaide, my my grandpa was actually a video camera guy. He used to make wedding videos and things like that. And growing up, I used to be able to play with his equipment at a massive editing suite. This is the 1980s and, you know, camera equipment was pretty hard to come by. Yeah. With his camera all the time. A lot of my film projects, a lot of my school projects were videos and films. And I had a real love for it. So that was basically the, the film education, the very early part of my went to, to film school in London, 2006. Yeah. And then after graduating film school, the first real independent project was a series called Indie Cities, which is basically just a way for me to travel around Europe, meeting cool people and honing my craft of filmmaking. It sounds like a great way to do it. Oh, it was cool, man. It was like, yeah, limited videos out different cities and people living outside of corporate culture in those cities. Yeah, right. Sounds fun. So it was amazing. Yeah, we did music, art, food with the topics in each city. And it did really well. Like, this is the very early stage of YouTube, 2006 time. Yep. And it started getting lots of views and lots of interest. Picked up by Channel 4 in the UK and they kept the concept, but they changed it a little bit to be about artisans, mm. craftspeople. Yep. And the show was called Makers, and that was really my big break in filmmaking. That was like a TV show. It was short form. It was three-minute episodes, but yep. it appeared on TV at like 8.30 before the movie started or what? 
Yeah, good. And that's how I first came across the, the, the concept of social entrepreneurship. And so then that gave rise to this vision of creating a project, right? So you're director at Stay Gold and you produce this new bead documentary, which we've spoken about just before. So tell us a little bit about this project. What inspired you to, to pull it together? Was it just sort of off the back of makers that you saw that sort of business for good activity happening and you wanted to learn more about it? Or what really created that inspiration and drive to, to work for four years to create this? Yeah, so the idea came in 2015 when the makers finished. I was looking for a new project. And the key thing that I learned from makers was that a lot of the artisans that I met had some kind of social impact or environmental impact built into their business. Mm. And that really flipped my ideology on its head. I was always anti-business or anti-big business, essentially. Yeah. But for the first time in a long time, I, I could start to see that business could be the solution to a lot of these problems that we're seeing in the world. Yeah. So it's like an epiphany moment after the makers finished. And so I started researching. I didn't know what it was called, this movement. I just started researching other businesses that were doing this kind of like do good mm. business model. Yeah. And then I read a book by Carl Westerway called Profit and Purse, who's in my film actually, in, the, in a sketch. And that really, for the first time, gave me some vocabulary around this movement. It's called mm. a social entrepreneur. It's called a social enterprise. Yeah. And it's business that thinks about people on the planet alongside profit. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, this is actually, this is happening right now. Like this is a brand new thing. Mm. I need to jump on this right now and make the world aware of it. And so what was the key lesson that you took away from shooting this film? Because it obviously really brought you up to speed with a key part of the movement, particularly coming out of the States. So like, what, what were some of those key lessons? Well, I mean, the key lesson I, I have now is that this, this movement is really taken off. Like it is, when I first started, you ask 100 people, social entrepreneurs, and maybe one person would be able to give you a coherent answer. But now I think it's tipping mainstream. Mm. Like people really, especially amongst our community, obviously mm. people know, know about it. But even my mom and her friends, they, they get it. Yeah. They, they, there's so many great brands out there doing social good. The, the, the landscape has changed just in five years. Yeah. And what was it that made you select the specific brands you worked with on the film? Well, I moved to Los Angeles in 2015 to do some commercial work and I was basically just hunting around Southern California. And so I think I met about 100 different people, 100 different entrepreneurs and people yeah. connected to the community over about an 18-month period. Mm. And I selected uh, the three entrepreneurs, which is Known Supply, all Chris Onfolk, Jenna Blackheart and Bereo, which is uh, three guys out of Ventura, California. Yeah. I selected them because they represented three very different business models. Mm. Jana's a one-for-one -one sock company. Pereo is an environmental collection, plastic collection company. And Crochet Kids is a female empowerment project. Yeah. Three very different business models that represent social entrepreneurship. Mm. They're at three very different life cycle stages of their business. Cole was this old, Bereo five years old, and Jana one year old, or like basically just starting up. Yeah. So I thought that was just a good mix to represent the different types of business models and different stages of business. Yeah. And they were just, what it really came down to, they're just really compelling people, mm. really different to each other, really engaging, really authentic, and just people that I think viewers would want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So you speak about that engaging and authentic component of these different entrepreneurs so what storytelling advice then would you give to impact-led entrepreneurs to help them craft really effective narratives it sounds like those personable elements of the founders themselves were really important for you 
Yeah, well, one key piece of script writing advice I always love to talk about is what you choose to write about or make films about is far more important than anything you make after that. Mm. So the subject matter of any piece of content is far more important than the flourish you put on it, like the filters you use on Instagram or the hashtags you use. And I tried to apply that with my film too. Like I really wanted to basically would change the world if it worked. Like yeah. people could watch this film and not just be entertained or have a good time for 80 minutes, but actually like create an ideology that could set in motion some kind of global change in narrative or like an, an action people can take to make the world a better place. Mm. But that's where I started. Obviously, it's a big undertaking to try and do that. Yeah. yeah. And I'll let you be that. You've seen the film, haven't you? You yeah. can be the judge of <laughs> if we accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That was great. Great to to get a preview over the weekend and really, really enjoyed it. You've done a good job and you can see how there's a lot of a lot of hard work put into making it. Thanks, Dan. It was four years from start to finish. It was took a lot longer. And key learning is that it just it takes a long time yeah, to make yeah, these things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we were just saying the podcast before, with it due to be released in a couple of days' time, it must be just like, you know, that the final stage of, of birth right now and and quite daunting at the same time. So where do you feel, I mean, yeah. Pete, people could typically improve in the communication around social change? My biggest criticism of the move when I first started this and where I wanted the film to be different is I feel like we do a lot of preaching to the choir, talking to people who are already in the movement. Mm. And I think it's important if we want to become mainstream that we not dumb down the message but we just make the message as clear and as simple as possible to reach mainstream audiences mm. to get them get them excited about being a part of it yep. and not excluding them with being too theoretical or being too academic mm. or insider talk yeah so that that was my main thing is i wanted to make it as simple and as fun and as funny and as entertaining as possible yeah you know, we're talking about serious issues like poverty, homelessness, and environmental destruction. Yeah. But I think if you bring home these serious issues in a serious way, in like a browbeating way, it turns people off. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're making entertaining content, which is essentially like show business, what the business that we're in is like giving people a relief, a release from everyday life. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I just thought I'd we should make it as fun and as funny as possible. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. And I think in the past and in many podcasts, we've spoken about this this movement of movements within this sort of impact-led social entrepreneurship, business for good arena, right? And how in some cases, those different movements use different languages and some can feel very sort of insider-like and some can uh, be more academic. And just the importance of us all coming together now and really uniting if we actually want to create a big dent and create the change that we need to see and tackle some of these big social environmental issues so that that makes complete sense to me so you you featured three different social enterprises on the new breed so are there any other social enterprises or organizations that you believe are doing a great job at tackling these big problems or did you want to delve into a little bit more about what what those different social enterprises you featured are doing I mean, I've really got to know the three feature entrepreneurs really deeply over the last four years. Mm. 
much to their uh, – <laughs> I think they were getting pretty sick of me by the end of this business and I'm sticking a camera in their face all the time and asking them to do something again and yeah. it's all they've got on their nerves. But I, I know them really deeply. Mm. probably prefer to talk on them. Yeah, totally. They're really inspiring to me and they're all having massive success, which is great, which is something we didn't know when we first started the project. Mm. If one of them was to fail, how yeah. would that change the film and yeah. would we still include that? Because it is a reality that young businesses do fail, yeah. social good or not. Yeah. And it is more difficult when you're a social good business because you're not just thinking about profit. You've got other things, other costs and social impact areas that are taking revenue out of the business that makes it even harder to start up. Mm, yeah. So I'm very thankful that all three are successful and it's a positive story. Not to give away the ending of my film. You'll have to. Supply. <laughs> I was going to say, you'll have to watch supply. the film to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you got to. Tell maybe, us. Maybe one does fail. Who knows? And maybe they do, but tell us, tell us more. You're going to say unknown supply. Yeah, so known supply. Sorry, known supply. People are probably more familiar with Crochet Kids. This is a brand that started 10 years ago, 2006 or 13 years ago, out of Costa Mesa. And they're basically one of the very first companies doing this. They were a nonprofit at the time. They had no idea what social enterprise meant when they first started. Yeah. They were just, they saw poverty in Uganda and they had one skill as boys growing up in Washington mm. in the snowfields. And then you had crochet beanies. Yeah. So they thought, why don't we teach these women how to crochet a bean? We can sell it in America and then give them the money for it. Mm. And so that's how the business started off. And it's 13 years later and they're like this huge company now. Yeah. The founder, having deep impact with Crochet Kids, decided to flip the company and start Known Supply, Mm. which is basically a t-shirt blanks company. So in Uganda, but also in in Peru, empowering women in poverty in both places to make these t-shirts. So the film really captures that. That business pivot for, for Cole and his company from crochet kids to known supply. Mm. And they're great and they're, they're really killing it. Yeah. Do you want to talk on the other two as well? Please, or yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hear how more. How are we going time? We're going well and I'm, I'm dying to hear a bit more about these other two. Well, well Bonfolk is a pretty simple story. It's a one-for-one business model. And when I first met Jana, she had just been and I think she was in about 12 stores in Louisiana where she's from. She sells these amazing socks and gives a pair of socks to a homeless person for every pair of socks sold. And now she's in about 80 stores or 90 stores in mm-hmm. Louisiana, Los Angeles, and all over America yeah. and has donated over 300,000 pairs of socks. Yeah, wow. And she's only been a company for two or three years now, which is which is epic. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, and, and, a, and an amazing story is Boreo, which is the three surfing guys buddies from Ventura, California. Yeah. When I met them, they were making skateboards out of recycled plastics and the plastics they get from fishing nets in Chile. Yeah. And they've pivoted their business too throughout the filming and now they realize they're making their own products and doing the whole supply chain efficient in terms of getting more plastic out. They're partnering with existing companies that use plastics and trying to sub out plastics in these existing big companies Mm. in their supply chain. Yeah, wow. And they've just signed a mass deal with Patagonia. So every hat brim, every Patagonia hat brim now is is Boreo brand plastic brim. Wow. So every hat you buy from Patagonia is rescuing 100 grams or so of plastic from the ocean. Mm. It's a really compelling story and it was was great to track their journey on the documentary as well. So, yeah, I'd encourage you all, all of you listeners, to jump online and take a look at the documentary. Now, to finish off, Pete, when we were speaking before, you had a wall full of DVDs in the room that you're speaking from. So perhaps, and, you know, being a filmmaker, perhaps you want to talk a bit more about film, but I'm curious to hear about books, films, or other resources that you'd recommend to our listeners. Yeah, 
I think Kyle Westerway's Profit and Place to Start, that's that's really where I first got my knowledge, social entrepreneurship. Mm. And he's a friend of mine and he's in the film and he just writes really well and really cool. Yeah. And it's too academic, even though he's a Harvard lecturer. It's not written in an academic way. It's very understandable for anti-intellectual Aussies like me <laughs> to get my head around. <laughs> I read about 50 books while researching the film. And you can actually go to newbreed.tv, the film's website, and you can see the, my reading list there. Oh, cool. It's about 50 books. And it ranges from books about social entrepreneurship, but also about inequality, globalization. And I think the most important book in that started this ideology in my brain very early on is No Logo by Naomi Klein. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Yeah, I have heard of it. Yes. Tell us more. It's amazing. So she wrote No Logo in the late 90s, and it's still so relevant today. It's essentially mm. a book about and how so many big corporations nowadays consider their brand more important than the actual products that they produce. Yeah. And But it also co- covers like amazing topics like sweatshops and globalization and exploitation. Really well-researched re- book. And that's inspired me to not just think about entrepreneurship, but think about how to make the world a better place. Mm. So I really recommend. And every book that she writes is amazing. She writes a book every five years or so because it takes so long to research yep. her books, yep. Naomi Klein. But that that's my favorite. Wonderful. Well, I'll stick a link through to that book and also through to your big list of books on your website, Pete. There's been some really great insights today and once again, congratulations on on seeing this four years of work come together and particularly as someone who's really, really keen to see the, the social entrepreneurship movement thrive and the ecosystem grow, I think it'll be great to shed a bit more light on, on what's happening around the world with your work. So thanks again for that and for sharing your generous insights and time today. Thanks, Tom. Been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.